Hi, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jane. Recording on a Tuesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. I, I work from home now, so we can do this again. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> I love being trapped at home. You really get to open up the possibilities <laughs> of things you can do for doing a day. I've already made stuffing and I made lunch. Ooh, stuffing sounds so good. I want to do a puzzle. You can do that. <laughs> you can get that puzzle. Get your puzzle on. I mean, I have a puzzle that I've been putting off doing, but... Uh, how are you doing otherwise? Oh, I am exhausted. This has been a, a doozy of a weekend in terms of work and life and everything. Mm-hmm. And I... But I am thankful <laughs> that it is <laughs> time for a, a couple days of rest. Oh, yes, yes. So we're saying what we're thankful for? Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Oh, I wasn't prepared. Oh, um, well, I mean, you don't have to. Just how are you? I'm, f- I'm fine. Um, my sc- And my C schools are closed down. So I'm working from home, which means I'm not really doing much because I don't really have a job that, like, I have tasks to do from home. But, mm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, pushing th- I'm pushing through it, you know? I got some new sheets in my bed. Ooh. Well, okay. Uh, the only reason that I had to buy new sheets is because someone in this conversation, which who isn't me, looks all around. I, I don't know who. <laughs> nabbed my other sheets on accident after we had this whole conversation where I couldn't find them. After her and our other roommate Kelsey had moved out of our Brooklyn apartment, I was like, I can't find my pink sheets. And something told me. I knew it in my gut that one of them had it, and I had a feeling it was Shane. And she was like, I looked. They weren't in my laundry. I can't find them. And I was like, I don't know what happened to them. Like, maybe maybe when I took them, maybe I left them in a laundromat. I have no idea. But, I, but then, like, a month later, <laughs> she was like, I have your sheets. <laughs> I found them. I felt so betrayed. <laughs> and now they sit no. in the trunk of her car. <laughs> like a fugitive. <laughs> They're not even going to get good treatment. They don't even get to be in the house. I just feel like if I had them in the trunk of my car, it's, like, easy to hand them off to you. But I, I can bring them in. No, no, leave them. <laughs> You're not going to appreciate them? Don't pretend. Don't pretend after all this time you care. So rude. So my sheets are being held hostage by Jane, so I got another set of sheets. She makes it sound like that was her only set of sheets, which it was not. Okay, but Jane, most people have multiple (laughs) sets because then... So do I. So I didn't have multiple (laughs) sets anymore. Oh, you only had two? Yes! Oh, sorry. Yes! (laughs) So I was like, I can't change my sheets. I had to go out and buy new ones. I bought cheap ones from Target because the sheets sheets Jane has are like my fancy sheets. So I bought (laughs) cheap sheets from Target so that I had two again. But now the ones I just got were some some more of the fancy ones. Mm -hmm. Treat myself. Um, Since I don't know the next time I'll see Jane. I may never get those sheets. That makes me sad. I may never get those sheets back will be a hostage for the rest go, of their I, life a long time goes by we finally get to see each other in person and i forget the sheets i can just see that happening <laughs> i will follow you back to your to wherever you live i'm like i'm coming with you i'm not here for you i'm here for the sheets no just use them <laughs> at this point i'm like just just <laughs> they're they're wasting away in there <laughs> 
my high thread count sheets that get softer as you wash them. Just, <laughs> just use them for God's sake. Okay, I will. Okay. <laughs> then at least I feel like they're being appreciated. So that's how I'm doing. <laughs> Should we get started? <laughs> sure. Okay. So Black Friday mm. is an informal name for the Friday following Thanksgiving Day in the United States. It's Friday. Friday. Gotta yes, get, thank go you, Rebecca Black. This holiday was named after her. <laughs> I wish. Um, I wish too. <laughs> let's re- let's is- rebrand. Rebecca Black Friday. Yes. Okay. Rebecca Black Friday is the informal name for uh-huh. the Friday following Thanksgiving uh-huh. Day in the United States. Mm-hmm. It is considered to be the beginning of the U.S. Christmas shopping season. I feel like that started already. I feel like many retailers <laughs> would disagree. They'd be like, no, it's the day after Halloween now. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, while it's not considered a holiday in its own right, a handful of states do recognize it as an official day off, but it's not called Black Friday. It's called the day after Thanksgiving so that mm-hmm. um, government employees can like legally have to have that day off so they can spend it at home or with their families for many years it was common for retailers to open at 6 a.m on black friday but starting in the late 2000s that time started creeping back to 5 or 4 a.m that day some retailers even began um starting their sales at midnight or even during thanksgiving day Mm -hmm. there is no specific date in history when the practice of black friday uh, like exactly began but prior to its existence it was common for thanksgiving parades um to end with an appearance of santa claus or for santa claus to be Mm. on the final float to represent the fact that christmas was the next major holiday to come okay so it's literally like you can switch your decor to this one now in case anybody doesn't (laughs) anybody forgot yeah (laughs) In case anybody forgot that this is what the one that was next. Can you imagine if every holiday was like that? Like, if on, like, February 15th, we, like, were, like, we legally had to take down our hearts and put up shamrocks. And, right, like, like, there was, like, a Valentine's Day parade, and at the end, some leprechauns pranced out, yeah. and we were like, it's our time now! <laughs> and then there was, like, a Thanksgiving, uh, I mean, a St. Patrick's Day parade, which there are ones, Yeah. Um, but it ended with, like, the Easter Bunny like, coming through. <laughs> This is all I want for society now. I think we should do this. I think after <laughs> Christmas Day, a bunch of little cupids should swoop down and start stealing your Christmas decorations. Does that mean on Halloween, like, one person has to show up to, to the uh, ho- Halloween party in a turkey costume? Yes, legally. <laughs> and then he has to be the last one at the party. Yes, legally. Uh, there have even been some instances um, of Santa parades that take place on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, again, it just signifies that the Christmas season mm. has officially begun. Oh, you know what the best thing that COVID's done? It canceled oh, Santa Oh, I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. It canceled yeah. Santa oh. Thank you. Thank Lord. Santa Con. I'm sure the people who went had fun, but I, for all the other New Yorkers, it was just a pain. Three years in a row when we were at Muhlenberg, <laughs> I went into New York on a seemingly random Saturday to see a show with my friend. And all three years we picked Santa Con. All three years. I was like, how do we keep doing this? It was so, ups- <laughs> it was deeply upsetting, Jane. And then I started living in New York. So I was always there for Santa Con. I just, I'm so happy it's over. White people don't need it. They really, really don't. 
In the late 19th and early 20th century, many Thanksgiving Day parades or... Wow, I really am that person that wrote many Thanksgiving Day parades or Thanksgiving Day parades. (laughs) I think I know what I meant to write. I meant to write many Thanksgiving Day parades or Santa parades. Um, began to be sponsored by department stores Uh, as vehicles to start their big Christmas sale advertisement. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is not the only one. There are other ones. The other, um, one of the other big ones that like people actually might know about is that the Toronto Santa Claus Parade is sponsored by Eaton's department store. Mm. Um, that one is, again, a less famous than the Macy's Day Parade, but it's an example that there are other ones. The stores use the parade, as I said, to launch big advertisement pushes to bring people into their stores to shop for their Christmas stocking up, you know? We. Uh, be- <laughs> we. <laughs> Sarah's like, we got it, okay? No, <laughs> you made we. your point. Like, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Because of this, the day after Thanksgiving became sort of officially cemented as the start of the Christmas shopping season. Mm -hmm. And it became sort of an unwritten rule that stores wouldn't do any major Christmas advertising until the Thanksgiving parades were over. What happened to that agreement? Where did that go? (laughs) Target had Christmas stuff out before Halloween happened. I think they can still sell stuff, but like their big advertisement campaigns can't start until the day after Thanksgiving. But again, it's an unwritten rule. Like there's nothing legal about Mm. it. There's nothing legally binding. Yeah. Some people aren't listening. Some people aren't going (laughs) following the group agreement. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, prior to 1939, Thanksgiving wasn't always held on the fourth Thursday in November. Oh. It used to be on the last Thursday in November Mm. because every roughly two out of seven years, there's five Thursdays in November. Right. And so sometimes it was on the fifth Thursday in November. And this caused a little bit of kerfuffle because in those years, that would mean that there was less would time be yeah for like christmas later season. in november yeah. it would be in like the last day or the last two days of november so it would cut almost a week off of the thanksgiving shopping season the christmas and shopping retail- season you mean what did i say thanksgiving shopping season <laughs> oops um <laughs> and retailers thought that they were missing out on that and they didn't mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and so some retailers started to do their advertisements before thanksgiving Mm. because they were like well why don't we just start doing it early since we're missing out on that week and that caused a lot of arguments and it it, chaos in the world so this (laughs) is literally such a nightmare i hate it (laughs) what a non-problem i know so fdr issued an official Uh, proclamation for thanksgiving to like from this day forward always be held on the fourth thursday of november even if there is a fifth thursday i see almost all major retailers in the u.s big and small offer some sort of limited time the words i heard to describe it were door buster door crasher or door smasher <laughs> sales which really Penny is the captain of their advertisement saying a door busting sale it's always jc penny <laughs> Jesus Christ, Penny. 
like a, it really doesn't paint us well as shoppers that we're mm. like breaking property it's, to get into it <laughs> it's true though and property <laughs> will get broken that's the thing is it always happens it's like it's and they're like it's good come yeah. do it come break they're our like, shit. we love that you break our door and yet when people are rioting they're like stop that you're destroying property yeah yeah so you call but your sale in the name of capitalism buster. so yeah <laughs> And they also right. offer special for sale items that can only bought during that weekend or during can the only season. Can... <laughs> Is that what I said? You said can only bought. <laughs> can only be bought. Yeah. Uh, November 28th, 2005 was the very first Cyber Monday, oh. which is the biggest online shopping day of the year. Mm or at least one of them. Mm -hmm. In 2015, Amazon.com held its first Prime Day. Oh. Yeah. I hate and that. And it was advertised that the deals of Prime Day would be better than that of Black Friday. They are and good, but we hate <laughs> we, but we hate it. We hate them, but they are good deals. They're great deals, but we don't support it. <laughs> They definitely held their pro. They kept their promise. Yeah. And in order to compete, other companies started to follow suit by creating their own Black Friday in July deals. Oh. Which are advertised to have deals that are as good, if not better, than those promised on Black have Friday. Have you ever noticed that department stores are the only ones that have sales on Labor Day, Memorial Day? Like, it's a Memorial Day sale. It's like, it's a Labor Day sale. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think that's and a real thing. I think you made that up. Or whenever they, like, have a name for it, like, our semi-annual sale. Like, oh, yes, we all love the semi-annual sale. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of stores that are like that. Like, um... Victoria's oh, Secret, I think. Victoria's Secret does it. And yeah. Lush only has one sale every year and it's on Boxing Day. Oh. Yeah. That's like, they're like, that's, that's, that's it. It's our annual sale. And we're like, you're right. It's the annual sale. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're that not is wrong. how you would describe that. There is a lot of debate over the idea of retailers pushing their Black Friday opening times earlier and earlier. No, don't do that. Creeping into Thanksgiving, as they say. And sometimes earning the term Black Thursday or sometimes Gray Thursday or, or, or <laughs> like Brown Friday. Like, there was all these different colors thrown around that I was like, ew. Um, but this phenomenon is also called the Christmas creep. Oh, my God. Which Christmas is like creep. Because <laughs> it's creeping into mm, the Thanksgiving yeah. celebration. Yeah. Santa Claus is also mm -hmm. a creep. So <laughs> he does break in it. He he does break into people's and he houses. Spies he spies on you. He He's call it a a chimney bust giveaway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in two thousand nine, Kmart opened its Black Friday sales at seven a.m. on Thanksgiving Day, mm, and they explained drama. that they were doing it like as a favor to families because. This would allow shoppers to have a store that wouldn't have the Black Friday traffic and they could then return home after shopping just in time for dinner with their families. Uh, but they got a lot of heat for <laughs> heat yeah, about people doing have this. to work then. Like they're like, <laughs> we're doing this for our customers. Okay, well, what about your employees? Exactly. That's the problem. That's one of the more extreme examples, but there are stores that begin sales at 8 or 9 p.m. on Thanksgiving so that families can go out shopping after the meal. 
in 2010, Toys R Us, rest in peace, I guess, um, began their Black Friday sales on 10 p.m. on Thanksgiving and offered a free box of crayons and a free coloring book to anybody that showed up. That's quite a a good deal. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. In 2014, uh, retail sales were just like generally down that year. Mm -hmm. And many stores decided that they would have Black Thursday sales Mm. um, in order because they thought that that would boost their holiday sales. They had more time for shoppers to come in. But they found that despite that, their total holiday weekend sales still fell of an average of 11%. And studies kind of show that black friday success doesn't really correlate with the amount of money you're going to make total Mm. uh, in a year many of those retailers because of this information decided to stop selling on thanksgiving because they thought the logic they were using is like oh well the idea of black friday really draws in people for the event of it all for Mm -hmm. the chaos of it all the excitement of Mm -hmm door busting yeah Um, (laughs) they're kicking out the doors (laughs) they love it walmart on the other hand was one of the few companies that held firm about opening on thanksgiving and not shortening its sale and it has kind of maintained that since they're kind of like you know we don't care about our employees we're just gonna be open walmart's Uh, truly the worst one year i drove past a walmart on thanksgiving and the line was wrapped around the building and it was like four o'clock on thanksgiving mm-hmm. it was unbelievable uh some stores such as forever 21 go in the opposite direction of opening earlier and earlier they open on um friday morning but they mm-hmm. extend their store hours until 2 a.m that whole weekend oh. so that you can yes yeah, so you can shop later yeah and um uh, i think smart. that's a better idea like, I, I mean, yeah, as I long know. as you're still having, like, you know, a healthy number of hours that your employees are working and there's, yeah. like, sh- good shifts set up. Yeah, that's like, what, like, I know the King of Prussia Mall does this. It's, like, it's all about being open later. Like, they, mm-hmm. I think they're open on Thanksgiving night. But, I, again, I think they do what the Christiana Mall does. And it's, like, 8 p.m. to midnight on Thanksgiving or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, they don't open any earlier. Like, they still open at 8, or I think. But they mm-hmm. stay open. Some of the stores stay open until like 11 or midnight. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. It used to be the case that Black Friday sales would start on Friday and they would last until the end of the following week. Oh. So it's like a week and a half of a Black Friday sale. But more recently, <laughs> to sort of up the sense of urgency and to encourage people to rush into the stores, more and more retailers are shortening their sales. Mm-hmm. Also, like if there's more days that you're merchandise costs less than that's yeah i guess less money going in your pocket interestingly according to a 2012 gallup poll only 18 percent of americans said they approve of black friday and this is particularly an interesting statistic because in the same survey americans were asked if they approve of columbus day and 58 percent said yes there what yeah no, they switched that I, statistic around. No, that's why I do think that the sort of negative PR of Columbus Day was like upped more recently. Mm-hmm. So I guess it wouldn't shock me that if you told me in 2012, like, yeah, like half the people are like, whatever about Columbus Day. Whereas now it's like Maine, it's no longer even a di- like it's Indigenous People's Day yeah, now. Yeah, I think it's the same in Pennsylvania now. Mm hmm. 
or maybe New York, somewhere I mm-hmm. somewhere I've lived. I mean, it's mm-hmm. good that All so right. few people are like Black Friday is good for our health, you know. <laughs> like, <you're> like, <laughs> but the other statistic, I'm like, what? <laughs> In the early 2000s, it started to become really common for Canadians who lived near the border to travel to the U.S. for the day to take advantage of the discounts. That's wild. Ten thousand percent, I would do that. <laughs> So in order to keep the shoppers spending their money locally, Canadian businesses slowly started having their own Black Friday sales. Mm -hmm. So even though Thanksgiving is not a holiday that's celebrated at the same time in Canada because it's an American holiday, uh, although there is a Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was like um, two weeks ago. Yeah. um, (laughs) But that's not their Black Friday, whatever. Um, (laughs) We share a Black Friday. The term Black Friday, okay, I actually read three different stories about where the term Black Friday came from, but this is the one that I think is true. Uh, (laughs) The term (laughs) Black Friday actually came from the UK, Mm. and it... the origin of it comes from the fact that the Friday before Christmas Mm. is typically the day in england that a majority of britons have their last day of work before their thanksgiving before their christmas vacation so that night it's really common for everyone to go out to a pub and like get drunk with their friends hilarious (laughs) blackout (laughs) friday so the british police and the national health service recognize that as a day that they're going to be super overworked because there's just going to be a lot of like drunken disorderly people like out right that, that are going to need medical attention or might like be causing trouble so black friday was born as a term to describe <laughs> like a friday just before christmas where workloads for a specific industry go way up <laughs> <laughs> i like blackout friday better i think that's better so Black Friday doesn't really refer to the sales. It refers to the overworked retail employees. Oh. Having one day a year, they're like, all right, this is going to be hell. Right. And probably the overworked TMTs. All yeah. Checking in on the drunk people. Mm-hmm. Another origin of the term that I read online was that in the 1800s, the word Black Friday was used to refer to a stock market crash. But that doesn't seem to have any connection oh, yeah. to sales growing up. Wait, I, no, I don't know. Wait, that's the actual reason. That's Black Black Friday was the day the stock market crashed. Are you sure? I don't know. I do have a third reason listed that I will tell you, which I think you're going to appreciate. It was a stock market catastrophe that took place on September 24th, 1869. And on that day, the price of gold plummeted. So they we're like oh we need to do all of these things to get the economy to go back so it's like sellers put stuff on sale hmm. so that they could recover the stock the crashed economy i i could see that but i, I also like the first one a little better okay you're allowed but... to like the first one more but i do know the second one is a real thing because i've heard people talk about it before yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a, a another explanation for the term Black Friday, which I actually think you might like this one the best. Um, <laughs> according to a 1975 New York Times report, Black Friday used to be called Big Friday. Oh. And the name was changed because Black Friday was a slang term in Philadelphia. <laughs> and Philadelphians just thought it sounded better. <laughs> we are the most dominant city like we'll change something under pure willpower you know (laughs) 
when Gritty was first debuted, <laughs> I hated him. And I thought everyone else would hate him with me. But everyone I know from Philly loves that guy. Okay, when I saw him, I was like, this is truly terrifying. What's going on? And then I spent about maybe five minutes watching videos of him. And I'm like, never mind. I'd die for him. <laughs> he's such a chaotic creature. <laughs> but just like Philadelphia, like he's, ma- he's made of chaos. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. I was like, this is this is a joke, right? Like he's not he's not really the mascot. And the portraits they took of him, like the initial release photos, were so funny. I was like, someone in the NFL is like pranking us right now. This isn't real. You mean the NHL? The NHL, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pranking us. Like, this isn't real. Oh, it was real. <laughs> But I would die for him. He's just so scary. He's hilarious. He looks like he's on crack. Like, it is the (laughs) most appropriate mascot for a Philadelphia sports team that exists. Like, the Philly fanatic (laughs) is so cute. But Philly isn't cute. Philly's not like, oh, like, derpy, LOL. Like, gritty. (laughs) Even his name. It's perfect. It's perfect. (laughs) So to conclude things, I just have a couple more little fun facts about the holiday. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is gross. Um, as, biz- <laughs> uh, as bizarre as it sounds, Black Friday is actually the busiest day of the year for plumbers Uh-oh. because um, <laughs> just because all of America has just eaten a huge meal and then like rushed to stores. So it's because stores are calling them because all of their insane customers are quote overwhelming their systems oh my god that's so gross that's so disgusting this is a more fun fact 12 percent of black friday shoppers admit to being drunk while shopping (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious Uh, And this is is just relevant to our times. Most retailers in 2020 have canceled their doorbuster sales because crowds are a huge safety hazard during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Uh, Already in response to the pandemic, major retailers like Walmart and Target that used to have 24-7 hours around this time shortened their hours and limited their operations. And other retailers that are usually known for being open on Thanksgiving, like Kmart looking at you, they are following orders and they're not opening on that day or doing doorbuster sales. Okay, that's so good. that's good. The retailers are compliant. That's um, good. I, I, I wonder if there's going to be just a lot more online sales. I'm sure there will which, be. Which like rest in peace, whoever has to mail all of those. Like, I'm sorry, Amazon workers. I hope you're treated well. Boy, no, they're not, Jane. I, I know. <laughs> also, don't order from uh, Amazon. Shop small. Order from Etsy yeah. and order early mm-hmm. so that they have time That's to make everything. I think I'm do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only requesting gifts from Etsy or other small independent companies. Mm-hmm. So that's Black Friday or Rebecca wow. Black Friday. Excuse me. Wow. Rebecca Black Friday. Thank you. That was great. You're welcome. Okay. So for the Reddit segment today, we're going to play a little game that I've made up. It's, I love games. It's called Egypt or Mesopotamia. The- <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... I'm going to make a mess of this, Potamia. I feel like... <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I feel like half the topics we talk about... Um, the It originated in Egypt or Mesopotamia... So I'm going to read you a list of things, none of which we've talked about. 
And I want you to guess if that thing originated in Egypt or in Mesopotamia. Okay. And you can play along at home. I, I just, that made me think of something I want to add to the list because I recently watched a YouTube video, by the way, by the guy who turned me on to the real location of Atlantis. Um, <laughs> who told you the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he posted a video about how ancient Sumeria, like stuff was going on there. Yes. And no one's really talking about it. Okay. So technically Sumeria is a part of Mesopotamia. Okay. So the things that I am listing that are Mesopotamian technically are like this article is Sumerian okay. because the Greeks were the ones that named it Mesopotamia. So that's what we know it mm -hmm. is now. But Mesopotamia, Sumeria, same place. Okay. So do you ever wonder if they, 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 they just wanted to call it Atamia and then someone did something and they were like, oh, you mess up. But how do you mess up Atamia? No, I don't think they said that. All right. <laughs> Number one. Egypt or Mesopotamia? Okay. Bowling. Just take a guess. Um, you have a 50-50 shot. Egypt. You are correct. Yes! In, ding, ding, ding. in the early 19th century, British archaeologist William Matthew Flinders Petrie, what a long and unfortunate name, um, <laughs> led a number of important excavations through Europe, and he digged up almost, dug up, sorry, almost 3,000 ancient graves, um, many of which uh, had belongings to children in it. And in this, he found a set of Skittles, which are not really Skittles that we think of. They're like <laughs> balls to play bowl, to bowl with. But the tomb, which was dated to... 5200 BC also contained a number of balls and nine stones shaped like vases. At first he thought they would be ornaments, but eventually he figured out that they were a game much like bowling. All right, so bowling, you got it right. Good job. Okay. Yep. Writing. Mesopotamia. You got it. You are so right. It's not a thousand percent certain that the Sumerians were the first to develop a writing system, but it's clear that they were using written communication by 2800 BC. They were the first people to keep track of goods that they were making and selling. And these are the yeah. oldest found versions of pictographs. Very exciting. Yeah. Okay. That she sounds like what I learned in sixth grade. Oh, see, I feel like I didn't learn that. Okay. And if I did, I wouldn't remember. So good on you. Uh, Mesopotamia was the, like, what's the phrase they used? Not the cornerstone of all civilization, but the there was some, you, some like, thing that it was, like, the... Oh, like how the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pottery. Mesopotamia. You are correct. Um, a doctoral candidate, Reed Goodman, at University of Pennsylvania, found a... Um, device that the Sumerians would use, and it was a type of turning wheel, which allowed them to mass produce pottery. Cradle of civilization, I just found. Oh, uh, okay. Good job. Good job. Okay. And, or the birthplace. Makeup and wigs. Egypt. Yes. Egypt was the first place to urbanize. Um, and so because it was the first place to urbanize, it was also the first place to have places where they could be lazy. And it was the first examples of nice. leisure and recreation. Um, so they had the time and energy and the money to look beyond um, 
bare necessities. So cosmetics and beauty regimes were also Egyptian inventions. Hydraulics. Hydraulics. Mesopotamia. You are correct. The Sumerians figured out how to collect and channel the flow of the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. Um, and they used the water to fertilize their farm fields. And they developed complex systems of canals and dams to regulate the flow of water. Good for them. Nice. Barbers. I'm going to guess just based on the fact that we were talking about Egyptians, like, getting into, like, makeup and wigs and stuff. I'm going to guess that – I'm going to guess Egypt. That is correct. The first records of barbers date as far back as 5000 B.C. Um, I need everybody to know that this is not just knowledge I had. These have all been very somehow successful, educated guesses. You're doing a great job. Excuse me. Um, Some of the earliest barbering in Egypt was performed by priests or doctors um, because it had ritual or medicinal purposes. Yes, we talked about this with um, tattooing, I think. Oh. How ancient, in ancient Rome, um, which is not the same, but. Yeah. um, They, the tattoos were done by doctors. Mm, Well, ancient Rome also colonized Mm -hmm. Egypt. So Mm -hmm. they might have picked those this sense of like body care from them mm-hmm. so it makes sense okay the calendar as we know it oh this one i don't know um don't we use like the gregorian calendar or something and that <laughs> seems like it would be something that's like a I don't know because my first instinct is to say Mesopotamia, but I also feel like I think we used to do something different and then we changed it. So that says to me it would be a more recent civilization. And in my mind, Egypt is more recent. But I feel like if I say Egypt, I'm going against my gut. <sighs> Egypt. Okay. It is Egypt. Oh, thank God. <laughs> okay. While the Mesopotamians, which did come first, um, hmm. They created the sexagesimal system, which is a calendar that's split up in terms of 60 and un- under mm-hmm. like numbers of 60. The Egyptians came up with the calendar based off the cycles of sun and moon. And the Egyptian calendar was divided into 12 months of 30 days each, um, along with the five additional days at the end of the year to bring the total to 365. Um, so they created the, the calendar as we know it. Also, the cat is trapped in here. I closed my door and he was <gasps> under my bed. But if I go and open the door, he will crawl under his bed because he doesn't like to be approached. Well, honey, you've made your bed, okay? Like, you're, you're, <laughs> I'm not getting up. <laughs> All right. Very good. You're such a smart lady. Okay, the chariot. See, I feel like my first instinct is to say Egypt. Because I, co- I connect that with, like, ancient Rome, and that's kind of around the same time. Mm-hmm. But then also, like, if Mesopotamians had, like, waterworks and stuff, you'd think they'd be, like, able to figure out a chariot. I don't know what this voice I'm going into is. Um, <laughs> you'd think they'd be able to figure out a chariot. <laughs> uh, Mesopotamia. You are correct. <laughs> 
the Sumerians um, didn't invent wheeled vehicles, but they developed the first two-wheeled chariot um, in which a driver drove a team of animals. And there's evidence they had such cars for transportation in the 3000s BC. Um, they were probably used for ceremonies um, or by the military, as mm-hmm. opposed to being used for travel. Okay. Tables. Tables. And accompanying chairs as well. Mesopotamia. No. It's the first <gasps> one you got wrong. Egypt. Um, before what was Mesopotamia doing? Just putting everything on rocks? Yeah, they were just standing around. <laughs> Before ancient Egypt, um, people sat on the floor or on small stools. Um, and around the third millennium BC, um, the art of furniture became a really big deal um, in Egypt and the art of crafting wood. And so tables in Egypt were made of wood and alabaster, and they figured out how to put legs on it to get it to stand up. <laughs> um, also, only people of high status had chairs. Everybody else was curse to the ground <laughs> okay <laughs> hunched over they just hunched over all right the plow cross applesauce for you yeah <laughs> the plow the plow mesopotamia that is correct um sumerians invented the plow which was a vital technology in farming and they produced a small manual that gave farmers detailed instructions on how to use various types of plows and before they used the plow they had to pray to homage to um, Ninkalim, who was the goddess of field rodents, in order to protect the grain from being eaten. Which, that poor goddess, she got field rodents. <laughs> poor thing. She went, she got there late to the day that they assigned it's the true. things they were <laughs> goddesses of. What's next? What's next? Uh, textile mills. Egypt. No. <gasps> Mesopotamia. There is um, evidence of ancient artifacts from Mesopotamia depicting women weaving. Um, And while other cultures in the Middle East gathered wool, the Sumerians were the first to do it on an industrial scale. Good for them. They were fashion designers. Okay. (laughs) Toothpaste and breath mints. Oh, I feel like I've heard this before, but I can't remember who they were talking about. I'm going to say Egypt. That is correct. Egyptian toothpaste was made by grinding up and mixing a variety of salt, dried flour, pepper, ashes, and eggshells. And this paste was then rubbed in using either a finger or a primitive form of the toothbrush made out of frayed twigs. Um, Mm -hmm. It actually did surprisingly well cleaning the teeth, um, but the toothpaste may have done more harm than good because the gritty texture of it would wear down your gums. Yeah. And so then they invented the breath mint to disguise the smell of rotting teeth. Um, And Egyptians would suck on drops of boiled honey flavored with herbs and spices like cinnamon, myrrh, or frankincense. Ah, what they gave Jesus. They gave Jesus (laughs) breath mints. (laughs) That's what like, help with that baby breath smell. Yeah. And they were the first people to add mint to their toothpaste. All right. All cops are bad. Who invented yep. the police? Oh, um, Egypt? That is correct. Egypt did invent the police. Um, again, because they expanded urban living, um, the first ever police force was founded in ancient Egypt to patrol and regulate ships and boats that would travel on the Nile into Egypt um, around 2500 BC. 
Um, by 1500 BC, the Egyptians had developed an elite paramilitary force known as the Magi, which if you've ever watched me play Assassin's Creed, um, one of their more recent games, you play as an Egyptian Magi who is like a defender of the peace. And his whole thing is that he like hates the, the formalized military that the Romans bring in. And it's great. And it's really fun. Um, but they that's were the his f- whole thing. Yeah, that's their whole thing. So <laughs> they were the first to invent a sort of patrol system. Um, but the Egyptian police were not responsible for detective or investigative work. All right. But, who yeah, invented bricks? <laughs> Tell me, Jane. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, famously, the Egyptians used them. In a pyramid formation. Yes. Okay, ladies, <laughs> let's get information. <laughs> um, but I'm going to say Mesopotamia. That is correct. The Mesopotamians were the first to mass produce bricks to make up for a shortage of stone, stones, stones, <laughs> make up for a shortage stones. of stones and timber um, in the desert. <laughs> um, so they created molds for making bricks out of clay. All right, locks. Locks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say Egypt. Yes, <laughs> you are correct. Um, nice. During the second millennium BC, the Egyptians invented locks for increased security. You can tell the Egyptians worried a lot about security, probably because <laughs> the Romans kept trying to come in and take their shit. <laughs> I also would be worried about security. They had to lock up all their makeup and wigs. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> math. Yeah. Who invented math? Mesopotamia. Yes. They developed a formal numbering system based on units of 60. They really loved the number 60. Not sure why. Um, and they would, use tra- they would use reeds to keep track of the units. But eventually, with the develop of the CUNY form, they used vertical marks on clay tablets to count. Is that why an hour is 60 minutes? I think so, yeah. Because mm-hmm. they just were obsessed with 60 for some reason. I mean, it's a fine number, you know. You can divide it, it by four, you can divide <laughs> it by three. Divide it by 12. See? Oh, <laughs> I love numbers with a lot of factors. Same. I just taught factoring to my sixth graders, and it was a great time. I'm a huge fan of the number 72. Lots of factors. Oh, Lots mwah. of factors. Great. I had number. to help a kid today reduce the fraction seventy-two out of ninety, and it was like, it's Christmas. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots of factors in that number. It's a great number. Also, fifty-four. I'm a big fan of fifty-four. I don't Ooh, know why. Fifty-four is good. Okay. Forty-eight. Forty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Any number where the two individual numbers in it add up to 12 or 9 is a great number. (laughs) Medicine. Egypt. That is correct. Egyptians invented medicine as we know it today. 
Um, the Egyptians did believe in the supernatural, but they had a far more scientific approach to curing illnesses than the Sumerians did, and they created medicines from natural resources, such as minerals, herbs, and animal products. Um, and they also performed early forms of surgery, which I did talk about in the hospitals episode, if you remember. Yes. Um, as early as 2200 BC, there were institutions known as houses of life where medicine would be practiced by doctors and priests, and they were also responsible for the world's first public health system so now to start off uh, wait uh, uh, excuse me <laughs> my notes just disappeared hello <laughs> all right also like the light on your face because like you went from like a white screen to like a different screen and then maybe back like it kept so like pers- your face kept lighting up and then turning <laughs> like oh when my i gosh, reopened safari happening. the whole all three pages reopened that's so weird maybe it crashed okay um to start off my topic today i will ask you one more time magicians mesopotamia or egypt (gasps) egypt that is correct yeah that just seems like an egyptian thing yeah it does it does the first known performance of cup with balls which when i tell you this trick is so important to the history of magic i'm really not understating that (laughs) um was by the magician Dedi. In, an, in ancient Egypt, he had performed over Egypt and was brought to perform for the pharaoh Khufu, and he also supposedly decapitated the head of a duck and reattached it. Um, Ooh, daddy. This story is all according to a document known as the West Car Papyrus, um, now thought to be a work of fiction. So was Dedi real? Probably not. However, the fact that this story exists shows that in ancient Egypt, some form of magic, specifically cup with balls, was happening. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to talk about the history of magician, magicians. Okay. Cup with balls is the trick where you have a cup and you have a ball under it and then you shuffle the cups and you have to reveal where the ball is and then it turns out there are none or that there's a ball under all three. Wait, under all three? <laughs> there could be. There's like two forms of the trick. It's like there ends up okay. not being a ball or there ends up being a ball everywhere where there okay. shouldn't have been. <laughs> balls everywhere. Okay, so cup okay. with balls. <laughs> That's what the trick is officially called. I'm not even trying to be funny. I know, I know. I need to trick. calm down. What is the name of the trick? Cup of balls was the first like performative magic. Okay. Okay. References to magic are also abundant in Greek and Roman myths, with suggested knowledge or appreciation of it from 1300 to 650 BC. Around 50 AD, a group of magicians emerged called the Acetabulari. Sure, sure, sure. Acetabulari. And they performed the cups with balls routine in ancient Rome for about 250 years. People just weren't tired of it. They were like, I just love those cups and balls. Like, they did not try to come up with another trick. There was no other sleight of hand. It was just them and cups with balls for 250 Mm -hmm. years. People loved it. There was no need to come up with a new trick. Um, and that leads us to about 300 AD, and if you're up on your European and Christian history, you might know that the Edict of Milan was agreed upon by Emperor Constantine in 1313 AD, which made Christianity legal in the Roman Empire. 
And because of this, the performance of magic was greatly limited throughout the Holy Roman Empire and then Europe as Christian as Christianity spread, um, because Christians saw magic as something linked to the occult throughout the Dark and Middle Ages, which this was the first time in my life that someone defined for me when the Dark Ages were and when the Middle Ages were and that they were two different things. <laughs> Um, so dark ages, no magic. In the middle ages, um, <laughs> that's why they were dark. That's why they were dark, no magic. <laughs> um, in the middle ages, as trade grew and it was more common to travel as a means of making money, so you no longer just lived in your town, it could be like, I'm going to be a trader and I'm going to go to France. That's a thing you could do. Um, in the Middle Ages, there were traveling performers as well who were allowed to perform magic tricks. As long as they declared that they were performing a trick um, and that they did not possess any magical abilities. They had to say it very forthright. Be like, this is a trick. And then they were allowed to do cup of balls. Um, other, if they didn't say that, they could be burned alive for witchcraft. Like, they had to be very clear. It's like, I'm just a performer and I'm just going to do a little magic trick. I'm just doing cup with balls. I'm just doing cup with balls. Like, that's all they had to say. And then they wouldn't be uh, killed for witchcraft. And that went on for about 300 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> they really, they love this bit. They love it. Which, like, 300 years from now, if I were still alive, I would still laugh at Ryan Hamilton. But, like, this <laughs> is just, like... <laughs> Maybe I'll make my parents watch that tonight. It's great. It's so great. My mom liked it. Okay, in 1583, a man named Reginald Scott published The Discovery of Witchcraft, which was a book meant to counter the ideas of those persecuting magicians by revealing their secrets. So at this point, they'd come up with a few other gags. It wasn't just cup with balls. <laughs> and he was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to help these guys out. I'm going to stop people from thinking that they are, like, part of the occult by explaining how they do their tricks. So he did. He wrote a whole book about it. Um, however, many saw magic as an extension of witchcraft, and many copies of this book were burnt in the early 17th century under British king, or Eng English king, James I, son of Mary, Queen of Scots, took over for Queen Elizabeth I. I've heard of him. Yeah, we know him. Um, and this, this book, The Discovery of Witchcraft, is considered the first published material on illusions and stage magic and allowed a lot more people to, like, access the tricks. And even though people knew how it worked, they still liked watching it. Um, <laughs> but here's a delightful fact. King James I of England, um, as we may know, was a patron of Shakespeare following the death of Queen Elizabeth. Um, his, his troop became the King's Men. And mm -hmm. uh, Shakespeare, who was eager to please the king because the king, like, was very adamant from the moment he came to power. He was like, you work for me now and we're going to make a lot of plays. And Shakespeare was like, oh, okay. Um, so Shakespeare, <laughs> eager, eager to please, wrote Macbeth essentially for King James. It's about Scotland. Um, king james's ancestor appear in shake appear in Macbeth and are like save the day at the end it was very clearly meant for king james um a, a few years after king james came to power and shakespeare drew his inspiration for the three witches from the discovery of witches because he knew king james hated witches in fact the only difference between um the bible before king james and the bible after the king james bible is that he added oh the verse in exodus thou shall not suffer suffer a witch to live it is the only difference uh. in the bible so shakespeare read discovery of the discovery of witchcraft 
um, knew that King James hated witches and used the information in it to create the three witches in Macbeth. <laughs> Which is super That's cool. a very interesting fact. Um, do you, had, did you ever watch the Sassy Gay Friend YouTube series? No. It was basically like um, the premise of it was uh, this like comedy group made these videos that was like how Shakespeare's plays and later they did other literary works um, but how they would have ended differently if the main female character had a sassy gay friend to like mm. give them advice <laughs> um, and like Romeo and Juliet like he comes out and is like what are you doing like it, it always starts <laughs> with them about to like make some horrible beci- decision because of a man and he comes out and goes what are you doing what 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 are you doing um, <laughs> but for the one that's a, like Macbeth like the queen's about to like go lady Macbeth is about to go do everything and he's like why are you doing this and she's like because I want to be queen and he's like of Scotland (laughs) (laughs) aim higher (laughs) that's super funny of Scotland (laughs) that's hilarious in 1634 an anonymous work titled Hocus Pocus Jr. (laughs) which is like funny to me now (laughs) in modern times um the anatomy of legermain was published and it exposed several famous tricks much much like the discovery of witchcraft including cups and balls (laughs) (laughs) it was the first real guidebook to performing magic tricks um it's they still have no idea who wrote it um it's no longer in publication which is crazy um so like (laughs) copies of it are incredibly rare um but it was a very very big deal and many magicians to this day consider it like Mm -hmm. a foundational work for a a magician in the early 18th century isaac fox who was an english magician started traveling to fairs around england and europe and he's considered the first real example of a famous commercial magician like there were always magicians at fairs but this is the first one who like people would travel to go see him specifically and they were excited about his arrival um and his shows would also include impressionists and contortionists he's also the first person to report getting rich off of performing magic he claimed to have performed for king george ii and to have amassed a fortune of one million dollars upon his death which is a lot of money Joseph Panetti was another notable musician of the 18th century. He was born in Tuscany and he performed complex illusions on stage. Tuscano. Um, And he was popular amongst aristocrats because he had very flamboyant performances and he was the first to take advantage of advertising to grow his audience. So he would like put Mm -hmm. up flyers around being like, the famous Panetti is performing at the the place. And so he did that. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Panetti, though, was also a professor of mathematics, so his official (gasps) title was Professor Panetti when he performed, and this allowed him to perform complex tricks because he understood the mathematics and people didn't know math yet, (laughs) so he was like, I'm a magician, but really, he was, like, really good at math. Uh Um, (laughs) Panetti, this is just a fun story about him, apparently made an enemy of the King of Prussia, (laughs) Frederick the Great, because at one point, Frederick Frederick of Prussia was... um, riding through his city berlin and his guards saluted panetti and he was like that's an issue you only salute one person and it is me i am the king and he was like this this city isn't big enough for the king of prussia and the king of magic so he kicked him out the world was wide enough it wasn't (laughs) 
That was his um, So Panetti was forced to go to Russia and he ended up dying in Ukraine poor because he lost all of his money gambling. Poor Aww. Panetti. In the mid-19th century um, the, was the rise of the father of modern magic, Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin. Um, <gasps> and he essentially brought magic off the street and out of circuses onto stages that were elegant and respected. And he really really gave us the idea that like magicians are someone that you should pay a lot of money to go see or like deserve a lot of attention and respect for their craft as a performer as a magician um this mostly happened because he obtained financial backing from a count in paris and so he was able to open at the palais royal he also came up with the idea of doing a two-person mind reading act which was a trick he named second sight I should say he didn't necessarily come up with the idea because he other people had done it, but he made it popular and he the most people saw him do it. So it's really attributed mm. to him. Second mm. sight works like this. Uh, Houdon, Robert Houdon would blindfold his son on stage. And then Houdon would enter the audience and engage with a series of items that the audience had brought him. And the son would then describe the objects his father was holding while being blindfolded um and they kept advancing the trick so at first the son would be blindfolded or turned around and his father would pick something up and he would start to describe it and the son would guess what it was but people were like oh well his son is just very smart so then he would only touch it and his son would get would say what it was and then it escalated to he would drink something and his son would describe <gasps> what that thing felt like it was like this crazy trick and it got him very 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 popular robert houdin would also perform levitation illusions including if you've ever seen a person like a street performer it looks like they're levitating and they're just like holding one cane he would do this illusion and he was the okay. first person to do it on stage so robert houdin very big deal in 1876, Professor Lewis Hoffman published a book, Modern Magic, and it is still widely used by professional magicians for base card tricks and things like that. Um, and just really fundamental, easy magic. Not easy, but like amateur magic tricks that every mm -hmm. magician should know. Hoffman is considered one of the greatest authorities on the theory and practice of magic, despite the fact that he was never a performing magician himself. Martinka, which is America's oldest magic company, was founded in 1877 by the brothers Francis and Antonio Martinka. Um, and I will talk more about this store soon, but it still does exist. In the late 1800s, an escape artist named Harry Houdini rose to power, um, rose to prominence on the vaudeville circuit. Fun fact about Houdini, he named himself after Robert Houdin. I was going to ask that. Yep, he named himself. He incorrectly thought that adding an I to the end of a French word meant, like, Little. follower of or, like, yeah. son of. That's not what it means. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's where he got his name. During a stint in Scotland, he showed a group of cops how he could escape from handcuffs. And they were so delighted by this <laughs> that they brought him to a, like, a patron of a theater. And they were like, give him a show. And he showed them how to do it. And then he sold out a six-month contract in Scotland. 
I feel like if there's anybody to show that you can get out of handcuffs, it's not cops. I don't think he was arrested. I think he was saying that he could do it. And so they were like, show us. And then they like it was like a bar. They were like all in a bar or something. And then it just got escalated. <laughs> Following this, he appeared in theaters all over Great Britain. And he challenged magi- magicians and scientists alike with his elaborate tricks. Many of his tricks have yet to be explained to this day. For the audacity of his stunts, um, he is still remembered. <laughs> the audacity. It's true. Like, he would bury himself alive. He did the, um, mm-hmm. what's that trick called? It's the Chinese water tank or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, he did these crazy tricks that they were like, he's going to die. And he never did. And they still don't know how he pulled them off. Um, mm-hmm. In 1902, this, uh, Houdini helped found the Society of American Magicians. And it was formed mm-hmm. in the back room of Martinka & Co., He's one of the founding members. He eventually takes over Martinka in 1919 and was the president of the Society of American Magicians um, from 1917 to 1926. Nobody has ever been president longer than him. He was president for nine years. Hmm. Um, This society is still the oldest fraternal magic organization in the world, although it's open to women now. It's not a men's organization. Its yeah, mission good. its mission is to advance, elevate, and preserve magic as a performing art, to promote harmonious fellowship throughout the world of magic, and to maintain and improve ethical standards in the field of magic. So they're not talking about like magic in terms that none of them are like we have magical abilities. It's like, you know, sleight of hand, things like that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In its 118-year history, there have been over 30,000 members worldwide, and the society's expansion is largely due in part to Houdini. When he was president and he traveled, he would make speeches and visit local magic clubs. That's how most magicians started. It would be like, this is Detroit's magic club, and the performing magicians Mm -hmm. would meet there. And he took them all under the wing of the SAM. Um, The gathering of these local clubs under the society is the largest establishment and movement of performing magicians in the history of the world, which is cool. Uh, Harry Houdini is essentially the only president to serve more than one term, and he did it while also leading the Magicians Club of London. The society also has their own museum in LA. This is my favorite fact. Every year, the society honors Houdini with a broken wand ceremony over his grave on the day of his death, and his grave is in Ridgewood, Queens, and he died on Halloween. <gasps> so they go to his grave in the cemetery. I'm like, I want to go next year. I really am. I don't know if I'm invited, no. but I don't care. I want to see the broken wand ceremony the over Houdini's grave. In the center of Queens. <laughs> There's also um, a sub-society called the Society of Young Magicians, which is made for children who want to assist magicians from ages 7 to 17. I would have loved that as a kid. Yeah, the purpose of the Society of Young Magicians is to promote interest in magic as a hobby that develops skill and self-confidence, the ability to speak in public, discipline, uh, practice, and performance, and also a sense of service to others through helping magicians through helping others learn magic and by performing magic at charitable events, which, like, cool stuff. Nice. Um, their website's super shady that looked like it would give me a virus, so I did not really explore it. <laughs> it's like, like, they need a web designer. That's not going well. 
<laughs> There's only one more um, magician historically that I want to talk about, and that's Di Vernon. Vernon is known as the man who fooled Houdini. Um, he was not an overly talented magician. He never did any um, audacious <laughs> tricks like Houdini, but um, Houdini had once declared that if he watched any card trick three times, he would be able to figure it out, and Vernon performed a card trick for him that Houdini could not identify, and he did it upwards of seven times. And Houdini couldn't figure out how it worked. So he became sort of culturally significant. Um, and he's often he's often overlooked because he was alive at the same time as Houdini. And Houdini kind of overshadowed other famous magicians at the time. But now more people are aware mm-hmm. and appreciative of what Di Vernon accomplished. And also that he was able to trick a man like Houdini mm-hmm. in his lifetime. In 2019, writer Ian Frisch published the book Magic is Dead, which detailed a secret society of young magicians called the 52. Yes, this is what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. Frisch began investigating the secret society, um, but he states in many interviews that he ended up joining them. (gasps) And and now he's a practicing magician. (gasps) He got him. (laughs) They did. They got him. He met magician Chris Ramsey and was invited to a convention with him in Blackpool, England. Um, And Chris Ramsey is a member of the 52. At this magic convention, he met Daniel Madison and Laura London, who were the founders of the 52. Each member of this society has the symbol of the card they most identify with tattooed on the inside of their finger. Um, when That's Frisch cool. was invited to join the society, he joined as two of clubs. So now he's like fully a member and it's on the inside of his um, ring finger. Uh, America's Got Talent champion Shin Lim, he won in 2018 and he's a magician, um, is a member of the society and you can spot his Queen of Hearts tattoo on TV. So like we know it exists. It's real. There's also a YouTube video because that's um, not because there is a YouTube video called Joining the 52 10 c so it's the person joining is the town of clubs and it's worth a watch the 52 oh, can there only be 52 members at a time i guess i don't think I, cards? I think so i mean i don't think they have they're close to 52 yet but yes they're they're i'll join what cards are left yeah i'll be the one that's like random that no one wants I like wanna... the seven of spades or something nice I don't know. I don't know. How do you choose what card you identify with? Everybody wants to be the queen of something, right? Well, maybe. I mean, like, that's like in in tarot, they ask you, like, they say, choose a card that's your signifier. That's the card you Mm -hmm. most identify with. And some people, I mean, we've talked about this, like, tarot cards emerged from regular playing cards. Like, you could just as easily be like, oh, the queen of the queen of swords is the queen of hearts, you know, like you could easily draw that parallel. So I feel like if I equated them to tarot cards, I'd be able to do it, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, the, the 52 is significant because they operate mostly through YouTube and internet outlets. It's a lot of young magicians who are discovering new ways to dazzle people in the technological (laughs) world. They are primarily a young organization and that they work together to come up with new tricks. They're not a secret society in terms of like, it's a secret that they exist and we have secret meaning places. More it's like mm-hmm. a, we share this deep, intimate connection and appreciation for magic. Yeah. And that is all about magicians. <laughs> that was fun. I'm glad you had fun. I hope I answered your question. I texted Jane and I you was did. like, so you just want to know about magicians? <laughs> 
Is that what we're talking about? Just like in my head, like I feel like I'd heard people like Neil Patrick Harris or like like other magicians being like, I'm part of a guild and we have magic secrets that we're not allowed to reveal. And I couldn't like, find anything about magic guilds, although there is a book called The Magician's Guild and that's all I was coming up with. So maybe it's that. Neil Patrick Harris is a magician. Oh, I guess oh, I knew big that. time. I guess I knew that because he would not perform like magic tricks on... Um, I mean, not like mother. it's like, like he doesn't perform as a magician, but like he loves magic tricks and like has a personal love of them. I guess and that like makes sense because he would, hand. he would perform magic tricks on um, How I Met Your Mother sometimes. Yeah. Uh, oh, yep. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris is an American actor, singer, comedian, writer, producer, and magician. <laughs> okay. <laughs> great, great, great. Okay, so that is that. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I'veBeenWondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I'veBeenWonderingPodcast at gmail.com. Sarah. Yes. Do you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? Well, recently, I saw a TikTok that (laughs) was a guy being like, when I was a kid, I was really concerned with what was going on at the Bermuda Triangle. And I really thought that (laughs) should be more like solving the Bermuda Triangle was something we really needed to focus on solving. And then I just kind of forgot about it. What's Tell me what the deal is with the Bermuda Triangle like what's the history what are the most mysterious things about it okay <laughs> I'm yeah I'm wondering about the Bermuda Triangle okay I will <laughs> I will happily tell you about that even though I'm so sorry I just realized you have a fear of like open water <laughs> that's fine no you know I love maritime disasters this oh, okay. is very appropriate for me okay so don't worry about it. Okay, I'm going to ask you something kind of similar. Jane, you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Sarah? I recently found out that there is an area of Yellowstone known as the Death Zone. And I know nothing about this. Like, what does that oh mean? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just, I don't know much about Yellowstone, but I know it's a concern. Like, I'm pretty sure there's, like, a volcano there that everyone's like, yeah, it could go off at any time. And I'm like, well, then why are we <laughs> Like, should we, like, get away? Like, should we? <laughs> okay, clearly you know about it and your concern. So you just, yeah, you, yeah. if you could tell me about yeah. the death zone at Yellow, yeah. Yellowstone, I'd love that. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs>